Welcome to another edition of the InsuranceAUM.com podcast. Last year alone, we had 13 companies that defaulted on their financial maintenance company. Insurance companies have embraced new ideas. Cost of capitals has gone up higher. It's critically important what's happening with the jewelry market for gold. The Fed's been trying to fight inflation with these rate hikes. The timing is just perfect. Once the market stabilizes, you should start to see an influx of deal flow. My name's Stuart Foley. I'll be your host. I'm back with you on an asset class that is near and dear to my heart. We're talking about municipal securities with Jim Jackson, co-CIO of Victory Income Investors. Jim, thanks for being on. Thank you. It is a pleasure to be here. This asset class is near and dear to me because I was a, the first institutional job I ever had was as the treasurer of the city of Columbia, Missouri, right? So uh, at the time, a standalone double A. We owned all of the utilities in town except for the gas company, which was owned by a for-profit corporation. You know, I learned a lot. Also managed their pension plans, which was really interesting and gave me a chance to get a handle on that market too a little bit. So very excited about this one today. Before we get going too far, I want to kind of introduce you to our audience. So where did you grow up? What was your first job? Not the fancy one. And a fun fact. Sure. Well, I grew up in a town called Marcus Hook, Pennsylvania, which is in Delaware County, south of Philadelphia. I really have two first jobs. One was during the weekends and one was during the week. On the weekends, I uh, worked for one of my sports coaches. He had a pool cleaning business where at the end of the winter season, when the pools were empty, I had a crew of kids like myself. We would go around with vats of acid and, and clean out the uh, pools before they filled them up. And the other job that I had, which I did every summer when I was in high school, was working for the Marcus Hook Highway Department, where I would do everything from cutting grass to filling potholes to cleaning things up. And uh, I did that every year during my high school years. Very cool. And what's a fun fact? A fun fact is that... uh, my really, really my only hobby is riding mountain bikes. And my fun fact is that I've broken more bones over the last five years than the first 45 years. And uh, I think I might be losing a step that's causing that to happen. So listen, man, as an old gray haired guy, I'm all for you. Believe me. So keep it up. (laughs) Can you give us a little bit about your background, Jim, and maybe some background on victory income investors just for our audience who may not be familiar. Sure. So I got my start in the business as a fixed income analyst for Cigna Investment Management. That was more than 20 years ago. I've also worked as an analyst at Hartford Investment Management and Barings. For all of those places, almost all of my time was spent managing insurance assets. I came into the business through a probably a rather unique route. I graduated from the Naval Academy in 1994. I was in the Marine Corps for five years. After that, got my MBA from Michigan and entered the business after that. So I came to USAA in 2009. Um, USAA was purchased, uh, the USA Asset Management Company was purchased by Victory Capital in 2019. And we transition to our Victory Income Investors uh, brand in April 2023. 
Very cool. So municipal bonds are near and dear to my heart, man, believe me. So there's so many different aspects of munis. They have traditionally had a very stable credit profile. Talk to me a little bit about how you approach this market and how it's different than maybe some other folks in the market. Sure. So overall, we manage uh, approximately $26 billion of fixed income assets. So split between money markets, taxable bonds, and tax-exempt bonds. So our tax-exempt team, they will manage approximately 8 to $10 billion of both tax-exempt and taxable muni bonds. Now, we have a long history of managing muni bonds. We launched our first tax-exempt fund in 1983. And really, our focus is on evaluating everything purchased in our portfolios before we buy it and throughout the entire life that we hold it. So really, our focus is on evaluating credit risk at the individual bond level and not doing macro calls as far as how we build our muni portfolios. So our muni team works very closely with the corporate team as well. So I manage both the muni PM team and the taxable PM team. And there is a lot of overlap between the two. So I think what is unique about our team that we do benefit from broad expertise across various credit type asset classes, and it is a fully integrated team. So we work here, all of us off the same trading floor in the same offices here in in San Antonio. So we have a lot of experience managing taxable munis as standalone portfolios. And we also have a lot of experience managing taxable munis that are a component of a larger, more diverse portfolio. So let me go back to my early years of my career in the municipal market, okay? So municipal bonds are tax-advantaged because the proceeds of those bond issuance are used for the public good, right? Build a road, build a sewer treatment plant, whatever it may be. But there's also a segment of this market that's taxable, right? Fully taxable. So can you talk to us a little bit about the tax exempt versus the taxable market and just kind of lay the groundwork for us there? That has varied through time. So I think if we go back to really when taxable munis became a larger component of the market was in 2009 as a part of the American Recovery and Reinvestment Act. So at that point, that particular law basically established what was called the Build America Bond Program so that munis could issue in the taxable market. And instead of issuing tax exempt, they could issue taxable bonds and there would be a credit for the issuer of those bonds for the amount of additional interest they would have to pay because they're not issuing tax exempt. And the reason for that was that the taxable market is much, much bigger than the overall muni market. So if you wanted to fund a lot of programs to spur economic growth, which was one of the things they wanted to do in 2009, that you could access a much bigger pool if you start to issue in the taxable market, really. So what 
that ended up opening up is really a broad swath of new buyers of munis that typically would not have bought them. So really that was the, there was a tremendous amount of growth in the muni market in the taxable market as a result of that act. And then after that act expired, the issuance of taxable munis declined quite a bit until the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act of 2017, which basically did not allow munis to do what's called an advance refunding, which means they could refund the bonds, issue new tax-exempt bonds. There were some provisions in that law that limited what they could do there. So and if you recall at that time, shortly after that, there was, you know, rates were pretty low. They could issue, they could do a refunding on the taxable basis. And then you saw taxable muni, the market grow then as well. So right now, really the overall muni market is about 4 trillion, which is only about 8% of the overall US bond market. And the taxable muni portion of the total muni market is about 17%. So it's it's a large market, but it's still relatively small in the scope of the overall U.S. bond market. Thank you very much. That was a phenomenal history lesson, and I really appreciate that. When you think about insurance companies, they have a lot of different duration needs, right? Depending upon what lines of business they're writing and what liabilities they're trying to, to defease and manage. Why do insurance companies buy taxable munis? Just walk me through there. So, if we could step back for a minute and just say, why does an insurance company buy bonds at all, right? So what an insurance company is trying to do is they are trying to earn what's called a float. So they're basically trying to earn a level of income on their investment portfolio, basically that exceeds what they have to pay out. And they're, they're managing a lot of risks around that. And we can really narrow that down into two broad types of risks. So they're basically trying to match the duration of the liabilities they have with the duration of the assets that they have. So basically, the overall level of interest rate risk of each of those. And they're also trying to manage credit risk. So to increase the float, all insurance companies take some level of credit risk to increase the level of income that they're earning from the asset side. So the benefits of munis, of taxable munis, are really twofold. One, taxable munis are issued in a very different way than, say, a public corporate bond. So a public corporate bond, in most cases, when they come to market, they're going to issue a five-year bond, a 10-year bond, a 30-year bond. A taxable muni comes to market, they may issue a five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10-year bond. So they're issuing across the entire interest rate curve, which would allow an insurance company that, that has specific needs on parts of that curve to sort of... to really do very close matching by buying munis in that part of the curve. I think more importantly, though, that munis tend to allow insurance companies to manage their overall credit risk in a couple of ways. One is that munis tend to maintain their credit quality over the entire life that you hold the bond. So what's called ratings migration, which is when ratings change, typically down, the ratings migration in the muni space is lower than ratings migration in the corporate space. So an insurance company can buy a muni and feel better that the risk of its credit rating being downgraded over time is lower than for corporate bonds. Also, the incident of credit loss in munis is very, very low. So according to 
Moody's, the cumulative default rate for investment grade munis from 1970 to 2001 was only 0.09%. The same number for investment grade corporates during that same time period was 2.17%. So I always like to say a lot of things happen in corporate land. Nobody has ever LBO'd a muni, right? So that sort of event risk that you see in the corporate space is you, you don't see as often or, or not, you know, not frequently at all in the muni space. I always used to say the the city of Dallas is not going to lever up and take over the city of Fort Worth, right? That's a great point. And, I, and, I, and thank you for bringing it up. If I remember what you said correctly, municipal bond markets, 4 trillion and taxables are about 17% of that. Is that right? Yes. Could you talk a little bit about the liquidity profile of that market, particularly given what's going on in the markets today around that topic? We want to timestamp these podcasts because markets have been moving fairly quickly. We're actually recording this on the afternoon of of April 22nd. I think that liquidity is more top of mind than it was 12 months ago, for example. Can you talk a little bit about the market structure and liquidity? So as I stated, the taxable muni market is about 17% of the overall muni market. So it's about $675 billion. Trading in the muni space, it is on average generally less liquid than the corporate market. I would say that is a little bit misleading. So the corporate market is really has is large companies issuing in that market and they issue a lot of debt with a large sort of debt stack. So for example, one of the largest issuers in the corporate space is JP Morgan. They have a lot of debt outstanding, a lot of different types of bonds. Their bonds trade all the time. Their more liquid bonds are what's called on the run, which is going to be basically the most recently issued bonds by them. Those will be the ones that generally trade the most. The longer a bond is outstanding, the less liquid it becomes. The muni space, the amount issued per entity tends to be much smaller, right? So they don't trade as often, the buyer base tends to be much more buy and hold. So it's not, you just don't see a lot of trading because not a lot of people are going to trade those types of bonds. They're insurers or they're asset managers that are holding taxable munis in their portfolios to maintain credit quality with the expectation that they're going to hold them over a long period of time. So our experience in the taxable muni market, you know, we have found given our size, that we have been able to enter and exit holdings without much challenge at all. So I'd say on the muni space, though, if you have very, very large holdings, a 20 to 50 to you know, 70, $70 million holding, which would be unusual in that space, those would be more challenging to trade. But I say, I, I always like when I think about markets and how how liquid any individual bond is. I don't think there are any hard and fast rules, right? I think it just matters where you are in the, the market. Sometimes munis are the easiest way to access cash. Sometimes it's corporates. Sometimes it's asset backs. It just varies through time. And I think really using taxable munis as part of a diverse portfolio really adds to that. And with short rates up, you know, something like 400 basis points in 2022, how have the increases in interest rates impacted the taxable mini market? 
So rising rates impact muni bonds just like other bonds. When when rates rise, bond prices go down, all else being being equal. So I think what we've seen in the muni space is that, yes, on the taxable muni space, rates going up has definitely caused bond prices to uh, go down. Now, the impact of rising rates is just in the bond market is not simply how it impacts the prices of bonds, but really how the rising rates impact credit quality as well, right? Because as rates go up, the cost to an issuer of servicing debt, if they're issuing new debt, goes up as well. Now, munis often have have taxing power that allows them to generate the uh, revenue needed to service debt. And really in a rising rate environment, we're confident that munis in general can increase the amount of of revenue that's needed to sort of service the debt. So we think that's an advantage. In a rising rate environment, from a credit quality standpoint, munis tend to maintain their their quality over time. And they can do that for many different reasons. But one of them is that they have more control over the revenue they can generate than a standard sort of corporate bond would. So it's been a minute since I managed municipal bonds uh, for a living. But if we just think about you know, there's general obligation bonds, otherwise known as GOs, that are backed by the full taxing authority of the issuing entity, right? And then you've got revenue bonds that are that are backed by the revenue of a particular project or a particular uh, stream of, of revenues. So when you look out today, you know, are there sectors where you find good relative value and places that you're trying to avoid? I mean, I think there's a general consensus that we're, we're slowing, Right. You know, how do you how do you see the municipal bond market given the prevailing economic conditions? So when we look across the entire muni space, we think that credit quality is pretty strong right now. There are certain areas of the market that have a bit more headwinds than others. We're thinking in the sort of healthcare space. But again, we always go back to our approach of underwriting fundamental credit risk and understanding the risk at the individual bond level and ensuring that we're being compensated for that risk. And I think that is especially meaningful in the muni market, which is so unique that in each bond that's issued in the market is unique and that having that sort of understanding at the bond by bond level really allows us to still purchase bonds in a sector that may be challenged, but our fundamental credit underwriting process allows us to sort of look through that and still add value to the muni portfolios that we are that we are managing. I've always referred to that as bottom up, right? So, you know, you mentioned this, that municipal securities, I mean, there are a zillion of them and they're all different. And they all require analysis, right? There's far more municipalities than there are publicly traded bonds, for example, uh, many times over. So this requires fundamental roll-up-your-sleeves analysis, and there's no shortcut for that, right? I mean, it requires a team of dedicated investment professionals. Can you talk a little bit about that and what's involved in in running a strategy in this manner? There is no shortcut in the muni space, right? It's so I think when our, our muni team is very experienced, they have been doing it for a very long time. We 
are very conscious of one, maintaining a very experienced research team, ensuring that when we bring new people onto the team that there's experienced folks that are that are schooled and sort of training them in our way of looking at muni fundamental credit. That is important to our team. It's important to the asset holders of our products, right? So this is, uh, I think, on the muni side, the just having the history, right? So is so much history that goes into that is what happened in California over time, how they dealt with various events, that having that understanding really allows us to do a deep underwriting across every single name that we buy across our muni funds. So we're talking about active management, right? So in your mind, can you talk a little bit about how active management is a better approach than passive or simply a laddered portfolio? Now, a, the muni market is obviously fairly large, as, as we talked about, but it also has a lot of issuers, tens of thousands, right? So the a passive approach really is forced to buy either a sample of those or a large number of those. Now, within bonds, really one of the biggest ways to outperform is really to mitigate the risk of credit loss. So if you're doing no fundamental credit underwriting in a passive approach, the you know you don't have a full understanding of the underlying credit risk that you are taking. And we think that really sometimes in bonds is obviously you want to earn more yield and, and do all those sort of things. But the the one of the primary ways to outperform is to miss the ones that go bad, right? So that's one way. Now the, the laddered approach is quite a bit different than the passive approach. So typically a laddered portfolio will contain a fairly small number of bonds. And so if you're buying 20 bonds and laddering them over 20 years, it really requires you to skew very high quality in those bonds, really bringing down the yield that you can earn. And you would have to do that because if you only have 20 bonds and you hold, you know, that's 5% in each bond, if one of them goes bad, your performance would be, you know, fall well below what you expect it to be. So really to mitigate any kind of credit risk, you would have to skew much higher quality, therefore reducing the amount of yield that you earn. So our approach is really to have an active approach, focus on deep fundamental credit underwriting and hold a lot of different bonds, right? So we don't necessarily want to hold a lot in any single uh, bond to sort of mitigate the risk of that credit going bad and us sort of uh, uh, losing a portion of capital on that bond. It's the old fixed in income adage, right? You, you make it in basis points and you lose it in percentage points. And risk management and not losing money is the name of the game, right? So whenever I talk to an expert in a particular asset class like you, I tend to put on my insurance CIO hat. And one of the things that's really common for insurance investors is their desire to customize a portfolio or somehow or the other shape the exposures to various risk factors. To what extent can you handle those kinds of constraints that may come from an insurance company or customization? Well, I think that's probably it's that is an area where we have deep expertise. Um, so prior to being purchased by Victory, we managed the general account for USAA, 
obviously, so that was a large account that we would manage fixed income assets. I think on the muni space, our experience in managing taxable munis within the context of a broader portfolio is really the approach that we take across all of our investment grade taxable products. So I think a customizable approach looking at what you want as far as interest rate risk, what you want as credit risk is really simply an extension of what we do day to day, right? So the other side of it is that if you're managing a portfolio that is multi-asset type, so it has taxable munis, it has corporates, we are adept at looking at the value offered in munis versus corporates versus other asset types and allocating across those to provide what we think is the best risk versus reward profile for any client. That's fantastic, Jim. I mean, one of the things that's fantastic for me to get to do podcasts like this with guys like you is I get a really good education on the asset class. But before I get you out of here, I want to ask you a new for 2023 questions, which is, what's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten? I'm going to dial back to 30 years ago to answer that. So I was a uh, young Marine at the basic officer course, and we were out on a night patrol and there was a like a an ambush of the platoon that I was leading and it was dark, platoon was scattered, you know, we, it was a confusing scenario. And I just kind of stood there and was trying to decide, okay, what do we end up doing? And the instructor grabbed me, that's a polite way of saying it, and said, I don't care what you do, make a decision. If you get new information and it tells you it was the wrong one, then make another one. And I took that to heart. And really what I learned from that is that you're not always going to have perfect information. You're not always going to know everything. And as long as you continue to take the information you have, make the best decision you can, and then being open to new information coming to you and acknowledging that maybe the first choice I made wasn't the right one, take the new information and being humble enough to make a new one that that was something that has stuck with me for 30 plus years now. Wow. That is fantastic advice. I really appreciate it. And that's very good stuff there. So thanks for being on Jim. We've, we've been joined by Jim Jackson, co-CIO of, of Victory Income Investors. Jim, thanks for taking the time. Thank you so much. It was a whole lot of fun, Stuart. Good deal. I'm very happy to hear that. If you like what you hear on our show, please uh, rate us and review us on Apple Podcast. And tell your friends. We certainly appreciate that. It's how we grow. So um, thanks for listening. If you have ideas for podcasts, please shoot me a note at podcast at insuranceaum.com. My name is Stuart Foley, and this is the insuranceaum.com podcast.